Section 29 of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 2 by James Boswell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. I renewed my solicitations that Dr. Johnson would this year accomplish his long-intended visit to Scotland. To James Boswell, Esquire, dear sir, the regret has not been little with which I have missed a journey so pregnant with pleasing expectations as that in which I could promise myself not only the gratification of curiosity, both rational and fanciful, but the delight of seeing those whom I love and esteem. But such has been the course of things that I could not come, and such has been, I am afraid, the state of my body, that it would not well have seconded my inclination. My body, I think, grows better, and I refer my hopes to another year, for I am very sincere in my design to pay the visit and take the ramble. In the meantime, do not omit any opportunity of keeping up a favourable opinion of me in the minds of my friends. Beattie's book is, I believe, every day more liked. At least I like it more, as I look more upon it. Footnote. The Essay on Truth, published in May 1770. Beattie wrote on September the 30th, 1772, the fourth edition of my essay is now in the press. Forbes is Beatty. Three translations, French, Dutch, and German, had, it seems, already appeared, Ibid. Mr. Johnson made Goldsmith a comical answer one day, when seeming to repine at the success of Beatty's essay on truth. There's such a stir, said he, about a fellow that has written one book, and I have written many. Ah, doctor, says he, there go two and forty sixpences, you know, to one guinea. Piozzi's Anecdotes, end footnote. I am glad if you got credit by your cause, and have yet of opinion that our cause was good, and that the determination ought to have been in your favour. Poor Hasty, I think, had but his deserts. You promised to get me a little Pindar, and you may add to it a little Anacreon. The leisure which I cannot enjoy, it will be a pleasure to hear that you employ upon the antiquities of the feudal establishment. The whole system of ancient tenures is gradually passing away, and I wish to have the knowledge of it preserved, adequate and complete. For such an institution makes a very important part of the history of mankind. Do not forget a design so worthy of a scholar who studies the laws of his country, and of a gentleman who may naturally be curious to know the condition of his own ancestors. I am, dear sir, yours with great affection, Samuel Johnson, August thirty-first, seventeen seventy-two. Footnote: On the same day, he wrote to Doctor Taylor. Your uneasiness at the misfortunes of your relations I comprehend perhaps too well. It was an irresistible obtrusion of a disagreeable image, which you always wished away but could not dismiss, an incessant persecution of a troublesome thought, neither to be pacified nor ejected. Such has of late been the state of my own mind. I had formerly great command of my attention, and what I did not like could forbear to think on. 
but of this power which is of the highest importance to the tranquillity of life i have been so much exhausted that i do not go into a company towards night in which i foresee anything disagreeable nor inquire after anything to which i am not indifferent lest something which i know to be nothing should fasten upon my imagination and hinder me from sleep notes and queries on october the sixth he wrote to dr taylor i am now within a few hours of being able to send the whole dictionary to the press and though i often went sluggishly to the work i am not much delighted at the completion my purpose is to come down to lichfield next week if it he stayed some weeks there and in ashbourne piozzi letters end of footnote to dr johnson my dear sir edinburgh december twenty fifth seventeen seventy two i was much disappointed that you did not come to scotland last autumn however i must own that your letter prevents me from complaining not only because i am sensible that the state of your health was but too good an excuse but because you write in a strain which shows that you have agreeable views of the scheme which we have so long proposed i communicated to beattie what you said of his book in your last letter to me he writes to me thus you judge very rightly in supposing that dr johnson's favourable opinion of my book must give me great delight indeed it is impossible for me to say how much i am gratified by it for there is not a man upon earth whose good opinion i would be more ambitious to cultivate his talents and his virtues i reverence more than any words can express the extraordinary civilities the paternal attentions i should rather say and the many instructions i have had the honour to receive from him will to me be a perpetual source of pleasure in the recollection dum memo ipsi mei dum spiritus hos reget artus Footnote. while of myself i yet may think while breath my body sways morris's aeneid's book for line three three six and a footnote i had still some thoughts while the summer lasted of being obliged to go to london on some little business otherwise i should certainly have troubled him with a letter several months ago and given some vent to my gratitude and admiration this i intend to do as soon as i am left a little at leisure meantime if you have occasion to write to him I beg you will offer him my most respectful compliments and assure him of the sincerity of my attachment and the warmth of my gratitude i am etc james bossel seventeen seventy three i taught sixty four in seventeen seventy three his only publication was an edition of his folio dictionary with additions and corrections Footnote it should seem that this dictionary work was not unpleasant to johnson for stockdale records memoirs that about seventeen seventy four having told him that he had declined to edit a new edition of chambers dictionary of the arts and sciences johnson replied that if i would not undertake he would i expressed my astonishment that in his easy circumstances he should think of preparing a new edition of a tedious scientific dictionary 
sir said he i like that muddling work he allowed some time to go by during which another editor was found dr rees immediately after this intelligence he called on me and his first words were it is gone sir End of footnote. his only publication was an edition of his folio dictionary with additions and corrections nor did he so far as is known furnish any productions of his fertile pen to any of his numerous friends or dependents except the preface to his old amanuensis macbean's dictionary of ancient geography footnote. he however wrote or partly wrote an epitaph on mrs bell wife of his friend john bell esq brother of the reverend dr bell prebendary of westminster which is printed in his works volume one page one five one it is in english prose and has so little of his manner that i did not believe he had any hand in it till i was satisfied of the fact by the authority of mr bell boswell the epitaph is to be seen in the parish church of watford hawkins's johnson madame d'arblay memoirs of dr burney says that this year goldsmith projected a dictionary of arts and sciences in which johnson was to take the department of ethics and that dr burney furnished the article musician the scheme came to nothing into footnote his shakespeare indeed which had been received with high approbation by the public and gone through several editions was this year republished by george stevens esq a gentleman not only deeply skilled in ancient learning and a very extensive reading in english literature especially the early writers but at the same time of acute discernment and elegant taste footnote we may doubt stevens's taste garrick produced hamlet with alterations rescuing as he said that noble play from all the rubbish of the fifth act stevens wrote to garrick i expect great pleasure from the perusal of your altered hamlet it is a circumstance in favour of the poet which i have long been wishing for you had better throw what remains of the piece into a farce to appear immediately afterwards no foreigner who should happen to be present at the exhibition would ever believe it was formed out of the loppings and excrescences of the tragedy itself you may entitle it the grave diggers with the pleasant humours of osric the danish macaroni garrick correspondence and a footnote it is almost unnecessary to say that by his great and valuable additions to dr johnson's work he justly obtained considerable reputation divisum imperium cum jove kaiser habet footnote. a line of an epigram in the life of virgil ascribed to donatus End of footnote. to james boswell esq dear sir i have read your kind letter much more than the elegant pindar which it accompanied i am always glad to find myself not forgotten and to be forgotten by you would give me great uneasiness my northern friends have never been unkind to me i have from you dear sir testimonies of affection which i have not often been able to excite 
and Dr. Beattie rates the testimony which I was desirous of paying to his merit much higher than I should have thought it reasonable to expect. I have heard of your masquerade, footnote, given by a lady at Edinburgh, Boswell, end of footnote. What says your synod to such innovations? I am not studiously scrupulous, nor do I think a masquerade either evil in itself or very likely to be the occasion of evil, yet as the world thinks it a very licentious relaxation of manners, I would not have been one of the first maskers in a country where no masquerade had ever been before. Footnote. Johnson, as Mr. Croker observes, had no doubt seen an account of the masquerade in the Gentleman's Magazine for January. It is stated there that it was the first masquerade ever seen in Scotland. Boswell appeared as a dumb conjurer. End of footnote. A new edition of my great dictionary is printed from a copy which I was persuaded to revise, but having made no preparation, I was able to do very little. Some superfluities I have expunged, and some faults I have corrected, and here and there have scattered a remark, but the main fabric of the work remains as it was. I had looked very little into it since I wrote it, and I think found it full as often better as worse than I expected. Baretti and Davies have had a furious quarrel, a quarrel I think irreconcilable. Footnote. Mrs. Thrale recorded in 1776 after her quarrel with Baretti, I had occasion to talk of him with Tom Davies, who spoke with horror of his ferocious temper. And yet, says I, there is great sensibility about Baretti. I have seen tears often stand in his eyes. Indeed, replies Davies, I should like to have seen that sight vastly when even butchers weep. Haywood's Piozzi. Davies said of Goldsmith, He least of all mankind approved Baretti's conversation. He considered him as an insolent, overbearing foreigner. Davies, in the same passage, speaks of Baretti as this unhappy Italian. Davies as Garrick. As this was published in Baretti's lifetime, the man could scarcely have been so ferocious as he was described. End of footnote. Dr. Goldsmith has a new comedy which is expected in the spring. No name is yet given it. Footnote. There were but a few days left before the comedy was to be acted, and no name had been found for it. We are all in labour, says Johnson, whose labour of kindness had been untiring throughout, for a name to Goldie's play. What now stands as the second title, The Mistakes of a Night, was originally the only one, but it was thought undignified for a comedy. The old house, a new inn, was suggested in place of it, but dismissed as awkward. Sir Joshua offered a much better name to Goldsmith, saying, You ought to call it the Bell's Stratagem, and if you do not, I will damn it. When Goldsmith, in whose ear perhaps a line of Dryden's lingered, 
hit upon, she stoops to conquer." Forster's Goldsmith and Northcote's Reynolds. Mr. Forster quotes the line of Dryden as "But kneels to conquer, and but stoops to rise." In Lord Chesterfield's letters the line is given "But stoops to conquer, and but kneels to rise." The chief diversion arises from a stratagem by which a lover is made to mistake his future father-in-law's house for an inn. This, you see, borders upon farce. The dialogue is quick and gay, and the incidents are so prepared as not to seem improbable. I am sorry that you lost your cause of intromission, because I yet think the arguments on your side unanswerable. But you seem, I think, to say that you gained reputation even by your defeat. And reputation you will daily gain if you keep Lord Affleck's precept in your mind, and endeavour to consolidate in your mind a firm and regular system of law, instead of picking up occasional fragments. My health seems in general to improve, but I have been troubled for many weeks with a vexatious catarrh, which is sometimes sufficiently distressful. I have not found any great effects from bleeding and physic, and am afraid that I must expect help from brighter days and softer air. Write to me now and then, and whenever any good befalls you, make haste to let me know it. For no one will rejoice at it more than, dear sir, your most humble servant, Samuel Johnson. London, February the 24th, 1773. You continue to stand very high in the favour of Mrs. Thrale. While a former edition of my work was passing through the press, I was unexpectedly favoured with a packet from Philadelphia, from Mr. James Abercrombie, a gentleman of that country who is pleased to honour me with very high praise of my life of Dr. Johnson. To have the fame of my illustrious friend and his faithful biographer echoed from the new world is extremely flattering, and my grateful acknowledgments shall be wafted across the Atlantic. Mr. Abercrombie has politely conferred on me a considerable additional obligation by transmitting to me copies of two letters from Dr. Johnson to American gentlemen. Gladly, sir, says he, would I have sent you the originals, but being the only relics of the kind in America, they are considered by the possessors of such inestimable value that no possible consideration would induce them to part with them. In some future publication of yours relative to that great and good man, they may perhaps be thought worthy of insertion. To Mr. B. Blank D. Footnote, this gentleman, who now resides in America in a public character of considerable dignity, desired that his name might not be transcribed at full length. Boswell, end of footnote. Sir, that in the hurry of a sudden departure you should yet find leisure to consult my convenience is a degree of kindness and an instance of regard not only beyond my claims, but above my expectation. You are not mistaken in supposing that I set a high value on my American friends, 
and that you should confer a very valuable favour upon me by giving me an opportunity of keeping myself in their memory. I have taken the liberty of troubling you with a packet, to which I wish a safe and speedy conveyance, because I wish a safe and speedy voyage to him that conveys it. I am, sir, your most humble servant, Samuel Johnson, London Johnson's Court, Fleet Street, March the 4th, 1773. To the Reverend Mr. White, footnote, now Dr. White, and Bishop of the Episcopal Church in Pennsylvania. During his first visit to England in 1771, as a candidate for holy orders, he was several times in company with Dr. Johnson, who expressed a wish to see the edition of his Rasselas, which Dr. White told him had been printed in America. Dr. White, on his return, immediately sent him a copy. Boswell, end of footnote. Dear Sir, Your kindness for your friends accompanies you across the Atlantic. It was long since observed by Horace that no ship could leave care behind. Footnote Horace Odes, Book 3, Ode 1, Line 34, end of footnote. You have been attended in your voyage by other powers, by benevolence and constancy, and I hope care did not often show her face in their company. I received the copy of Rasselas. The impression is not magnificent, but it flatters an author, because the printer seems to have expected that it will be scattered among the people. The little book has been well received, and is translated into Italian, French, German, and Dutch. Footnote. Malone had the following from Baretti. Baretti made a translation of Rasselas into French. He never, however, could satisfy himself with the translation of the first sentence, which is uncommonly lofty. Mentioning this to Johnson, the latter said, after thinking two or three minutes, Well, take up the pen, and if you can understand my pronunciation, I will see what I can do. He then dictated the sentence to the translator, which proved admirable and was immediately adopted. Prize Malone. Baretti, in a manuscript note on his copy of Piozzi Letters, says, Johnson never wrote to me French, but when he translated for me the first paragraph of his Rasselas. That Johnson's French was faulty is shown by his letters in that language. It has been translated into Bengali, Hungarian, Polish, modern Greek and Spanish, besides the languages mentioned by Johnson. Dr. J. Macaulay's bibliography of Rasselas. It reached its fifth edition by 1761, a bookseller of the last century. In the same book it is mentioned that a sixteenth share in the Rambler was sold for twenty-two pounds two and sixpence. End of footnote. The little book has been well received and is translated into Italian, French, German and Dutch. It has now one honour more by an American edition. I know not that much has happened since your departure that can engage your curiosity. Of all public transactions, the whole world is now informed by the newspapers. Opposition seems to despond, and the dissenters, though they have taken advantage of unsettled times and a government much enfeebled, seem not likely to gain any immunities. Footnote. 
a motion in the House of Commons for a committee to consider the subscription to the 39 Articles had, on February the 23rd of this year, been rejected by 159 to 67. Parliamentary History A bill for the relief of Protestant dissenters that passed the House of Commons by 65 to 14 on March the 25th was rejected in the House of Lords by 86 to 28 on April the 2nd, Ibid. End of footnote. Dr. Goldsmith has a new comedy in rehearsal at Covent Garden, to which the manager predicts ill success. Footnote. Depost, April the 25th, 1778, where Johnson says that Coleman, in square brackets, the manager, was prevailed on at last by much solicitation, nay, a kind of force to bring it on. Mr. Forster, Life of Goldsmith, writes, the actors and actresses had taken their tone from the manager. Gentleman Smith threw up young Marlowe. Woodward refused Tony Lumpkin. Mrs. Abingdon declined Miss Hardcastle. In square brackets, in the Athenaeum, it is pointed out that Mrs. Abingdon was not one of Coleman's company. And in the teeth of his own misgivings, Coleman could not contest with theirs. He would not suffer a new scene to be painted for the play. He refused to furnish even the new dress, and was careful to spread his forebodings as widely as he could. The play met with the greatest success. There was a new play by Dr. Goldsmith last night, which succeeded prodigiously, wrote Horace Walpole, Letters. The laugh was turned against the doubting manager. Ten days after the play had been brought out, Johnson wrote to Mrs. Thrale, C, in square brackets, Coleman, is so distressed with abuse about his play that he has solicited Goldsmith to take him off the rack of the newspapers. Piozzi letters. See post just before June the 22nd, 1784, for Mr. Stevens's account, end of footnote, to which the manager predicts ill success. I hope he will be mistaken. I think it deserves a very kind reception. I shall soon publish a new edition of my large dictionary. I have been persuaded to revise it, and have mended some faults, but added little to its usefulness. No book has been published since your departure, of which much notice is taken. Faction only fills the town with pamphlets, and greater subjects are forgotten in the noise of discord. Thus have I written, only to tell you how little I have to tell. Of myself I can only add that, having been afflicted many weeks with a very troublesome cough, I am now recovered. I take the liberty which you give me of troubling you with the letter of which you will please to fill up the direction. I am, sir, your most humble servant, Samuel Johnson, Johnson's Court, Fleet Street, London, March the 4th, 1773. End of section 29